Hi, this is Jackie Russo, and I'm the host of Razor Branding Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy it, learn something from it, and it makes your time worthwhile. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. Please be sure to subscribe. You can do it through iTunes or through the razorbranding.org website. For more information, you can get everything you need to know from that site, as well as info about each episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Jackie Russo, J-A-C-I-R-U-S-S-O. If you don't like what is being said, change the conversation. Hi, this is Jackie Russo. Thanks so much for joining me for Razor Branding. So on the podcast today, we're going to change it up a little bit. Instead of talking about businesses and making sure I'm done in 10 minutes, we're going to talk about social media and kids, and it's probably going to go longer than 10 minutes. We might even break this up into a two-episode section. So today, for episode 16, we're going to talk about developing digital citizens. And when we talk about developing digital citizens, it's because we live online, just like the way we live in America. And so it's our citizenship. It's where we spend our time. But just as with being a citizen of the U.S., we need to go to jury duty, pay taxes, vote. There's some things we need to do online. And it doesn't seem like enough people are paying attention to kids online. It's in some way as if they are unchaperoned, allowed to kind of run wild and free because no one's guiding them. They're online so much more than their parents. This is such a a native language to them. They spend all their time online naturally. And parents are trying to lead from behind. And that's a challenge. So why are kids online all the time? Well, that's where they socialize. That's where their friends are. That's where they spend their time. And it's not just for socialization. It's also how they get their entertainment. They're not sitting in front of a TV in the den watching cartoons on Saturday morning like we did as kids. They also aren't socializing at the mall and the roller rink like we did as kids. They're socializing online. It's just changed. Think about how you watch TV As a kid, and today probably still, you have appointment TV. If there's a show on Wednesday at 8, you're in front of the TV on Wednesday at 8. Well, kids don't work that way. They're not thinking about a TV schedule and watching TV when the networks tell them to. They're probably not even watching it on a network feed. They're probably watching it through Hulu or Netflix. So that's how they watch TV. They also don't think of it as TV. They just think of it as entertainment. So they're watching things on YouTube just as likely as watching it on some other provider. When you think about social media, I'm going to tell you there's eight pretty serious challenges facing kids that we have to help guide them through. So their communication, online predators, future opportunities, mass distraction, self-absorption, insensitivity, the fact that it's permanent and public, and cyberbullying. These are not in order of importance or prevalence Uh, They're just in the order in which we're going to talk about them today. So communication. How you say things often can be affected by your facial expression, your vocal tone, hand gestures, your volume. We can read a lot into the words by seeing you and hearing you. But when you're writing it online, all of those cues are missing. We don't get eye contact, posture, gestures, facial expressions. We don't get your emotion. All we have are words, and sometimes not even complete words. Sometimes it's just consonants, and all the vowels are missing because there's some sort of abbreviated text in there. That's a challenge for understanding what someone really means. And let me assure you from personal experience, sarcasm does not translate via text. 
and no amount of emojis can really help sell the message. If you're not sure of how what you're about to say is going to be taken, don't write it. Say it. Have an actual conversation with someone and help them really realize what you're saying. Another challenge of social media is predators. Now, it doesn't happen every day, like the way misunderstandings and miscommunications do, but it does happen. And when it does, it's very serious. So you want to protect your kids from predators online and give them the tools to make wise choices and not find themselves subject to being a victim. Another uh, challenge of social media are the potential of losing future opportunities. You don't want to get fired, lose your scholarship to play sports, or not be admitted to the college of your dreams, or even once you get in college, not get into an honor society or a Greek organization because of things you've posted online. So you have to be careful. Posting off-color remarks, confidential details, bad-mouthing teachers, schools, parents, or if it's an employment situation, your employer, your boss, your clients, posting inappropriate photos. All of those things can get you into a lot of trouble. And every day there are stories out there about colleges dropping athletes and not admitting students because of things they found out online. See, that's the easiest way to pre-screen now. You can screen potential employees and potential students just by going online and figuring out what kinds of things they write. That'll determine if you want them in your organization or not. Another challenge of social media is mass distraction. Social media truly is a weapon of mass distraction because it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to go and get on social media for a couple of minutes when you're trying to think of the answer to a problem. And all of a sudden, 30, 45, 60 minutes have gone by. You want to know why homework takes so long these days? That's a big reason. A big part of it is the phone sitting right next to the book while studying, or even worse, students trying to study on the phone because they're using Quizlet or some other app designed to help them study, but every notification that pops up is just another distraction. And think about every time you stop and then start again, how long it takes you. Your best bet is to put that device away, but we're going to talk about solutions at the end. So another challenge of social media is what we call self-absorption. Social media is, by its very essence, all about me. I am posting my thoughts. I am posting my pictures of me and my friends. I am posting my videos that I made to share my experiences. It's all about me. Well, the big challenge is that if all I'm ever talking about is me and I'm getting all this reinforcement from people saying, oh, you're so perfect, oh, you're 100, oh, you're awesome, oh, you're this, oh, you're that. It really does cause teens who don't have a fully developed sense of self yet to become too self-absorbed and too reliant on that feedback. It also can make you pretty insensitive because not only are you becoming more self-absorbed, but you also don't know how the comments you make actually affect people. And so you may be writing it thinking it's funny and they're reading it, not hearing your tone of voice, not seeing a facial expression and getting their feelings hurt, not thinking it's very funny. So you become very insensitive to how your words land on someone because you're not seeing how it affects them. You're not seeing that initial reaction when they hear it or read it as you would if you were just talking to them. Another challenge is that it's permanent and public. There is this naively held belief 
amongst teenagers that what they write goes away on Snapchat, that what they post disappears when they delete it. But court case after court case has shown that there is still access to that information. Not to mention, it's pretty easy for somebody just to grab a screenshot and just post it up there. So even though you've posted it and then deleted it, somebody else saw it and is now sharing it. This is happening over and over again every day. So it is permanent and public, and you can't expect it to just go away because Snapchat tells you it will. The biggest challenge probably is cyberbullying. And this is a culmination of all the things we've seen. It's people taking Snapchats and sharing them with ugly comments on it. It's people writing ugly messages, not realizing or caring how it will affect the person they're talking about. It's an easy tool to go tell a thousand people how you feel about someone in the heat of the moment. And the percentages are going up and up every day for people who are hurt and upset and frustrated and scared, and it can ruin relationships. If you spend any time going online and looking at what people actually post on Instagram, on Snapchat, on some of the blog posts, in the comments, responding to YouTube videos, it's fairly appalling. And it's particularly shocking when they're going after someone, posting pictures of them, and then comment after comment after comment of ugliness, profanity, drugs, alcohol, horrible. And it's funny sometimes to see how ugly they are about themselves and how much they put themselves into jeopardy, posting pictures of themselves drinking or doing drugs, posting pictures of themselves and videos of themselves driving 100, 110, 125 miles an hour down the road. People have access to that and it changes the way you are perceived. So you don't want to put yourself in the position of getting yourself into trouble. Now, parents, before you freak out and try to ban the internet in your house, that's not an option. That EMP you're planning uh, to just eliminate electricity from the globe is not really an option because there are some benefits from social media. It helps you get to know your kids better. When you are on carpool duty, don't you love hearing the things that they say in the back seat? Don't you get to know so much about them and their school when they're talking to their friends thinking you can't hear them? It's like they pretend that there's some sort of limo screen between the front row and the back row in your car. So you get to know a lot about them. You get to know a lot about their friends in those situations too. And so use social media like that. Use it as an opportunity to see what your kids are like when you're not around and see what their friends are like when you're not around. It will definitely help you, especially in the middle school and junior high years, know who to guide them towards and away from. It'll help you know more about the kind of people your kids are hanging out with. Another thing that's really good about social media is you'll learn how to keep your kids safe. You'll learn more about the programs and the apps and know what you should and should not let them get into at what age. So it really does give you a lot of opportunity. When we start looking at all of the different options out there, Skype is probably something you use for work uh, to Skype with a client in another market or a family member who's in another country. It's a great way to communicate. Are you aware how often kids use it for messaging? It's interesting to me. Oftentimes parents will take away a device as punishment, not realizing that they can use a different device 
a laptop, for example, and get right back online and resume all those same conversations. So you're not really shutting them out and taking away something. You're just guiding them into a different direction. Snapchat. It's not really the domain of the over 40 set. It is definitely a real estate that is occupied and owned by the under 25. And so you want to be more aware of how to use this. You may not like it, but you need to know what your kids are doing on it. The same thing with Twitter. And be aware of some of your younger kids are getting involved in older apps like Tinder. We see over and over again, high school kids going to Tinder to date outside of their school and get to know other people. And that's probably not what you want your kids doing. So what are we gonna do for parent safety? How are you going to help protect your kids? I'm gonna give you nine great tools. Number one, you wanna control the flow of apps. You need to have the iTunes password, not your kid. And if they want to download an app, they need to come and ask you. Now, all of these are suggestions. I'm not telling you how to run your house. I'm not telling you how to run your life. I'm not telling you how to parent your kids. I'm just making some suggestions on things you can do to help protect your family online. If you control the flow of apps, that allows you to do a little bit of research and know what is the age minimum for this. Most of these apps that can cause the most trouble are 14 plus. So when your 10 year old comes to you and says, I want this app, look it up and see. It'll say right there in the iTunes store what the age recommendations are. You want to follow those recommendations. You don't want to put your 10 year old in an app for a 14 year old, just like you don't want to send your 10 year old to a rated R movie. And I would hope you're not gonna let your 10 year old drink alcohol or drive a car. So use these age limits as a guide to know if it's the right idea or not. And I get it. All of their friends have it. Every single person on the planet that your child knows uses this particular app. You don't want to make them a social outcast, but at the same time, you want to keep them safe. And chances are, it's probably not all of their friends. It's probably just one or two. And a quick call to those parents might confirm that they didn't realize that there was an age limit and everybody then can get on the same page. Number two, you want to have a code of conduct, an actual written contract that will say, this is what we allow in our house with use of these devices. You can find examples of them online. When you have these practices, principles, and values in place through a code of conduct in a contract, then everybody knows what to expect. You wouldn't put your kid in the car without any instruction whatsoever and say, okay, drive now. So why are you gonna hand them a phone and say, okay, be a digital citizen now? You need to tell them what the rules are. Are they allowed to use profanity? Are they allowed to post pictures of drug and alcohol use? Are they allowed to drive 110 miles an hour in their car and Snapchat it on a Friday night? Decide what the rules are and that will allow them to make better choices in life and online. One of the biggest frustrations that I see with kids and phones is when they don't tend to answer it. So that might be something you wanna put as rule number one. You have to answer calls from your parents, period. You might wanna start there. It also establishes early on that the phone is yours. Yours to examine, yours to review, yours to turn off, if the rules aren't met, etc. Following the age limit of the app is an important piece of all this because it allows you to know what your kids should and should not be doing. For example, Facebook. 
I believe the age limit on that is 14 or 15. So you want to wait on that one. You want to know the apps and what they're about before you download them or let your kids download them. So if there is a messaging feature, does that mean that anybody can message with them or just certain people? What are the privacy settings on the app? Who else is using the app? Is it just for kids? Or can anybody use it? And if so, are you opening your kids up to developing a relationship online with a stranger? Because that is one thing you definitely want to avoid. You want to friend your kids online. If your kids have a Snapchat account, you need to have one. If your kids are on Twitter, you should be too. If your kids love Instagram, guess where you're going to be? Having those relationships online allows you to see what they're doing and know how to better guide them. You want to friend your kids' friends online. If your kids' friends are on Snapchat, then you want to be on Snapchat because you want to see the kinds of things they're posting. Now, no, on every one of these apps, they can exclude you. They can share with everybody but you. So the only way to really know is something we're going to talk about later when you check their device. Also, you want to friend your friends. You want to make sure that only the people you know in real life are the people that they are friending online. Tell them if they don't know the person, if they don't play on a team with them or go to school with them or in youth group with them, then they are not allowed to be friends with them online. Just because somebody has a photo that's cute and a name that sounds familiar, that does not make them a friend in real life. So that is a huge important piece of all this. If someone approaches them online, and asks to meet in person, avoid that 100% of the time. That is not okay. That is never okay. You have to have these conversations with your kids, though, for them to know that. Otherwise, they're going to think it's fine. There's a lot of tools out there that you can get to help you. One is called MobiCip, M-O-B-I-C-I-P, and it's a great tool for the younger kids. It allows them to get to the internet through a filter, that filters out everything that they shouldn't have, especially at a young age. Another is Circle, which is a device by Disney that allows you to control the Wi-Fi in your house. When the Wi-Fi turns on, when it turns off, how many hours each device can have. It allows your kids to earn more time if you deem it possible, and you can take away time if they're not following the rules, haven't done their homework, cleaned their room, etc. Another option is TeenSafe. And this is a tool that will allow you to see what's going on with your kids' uh, devices. The best tool of all we've saved for last, and that's having a central charging station. That's where the power, literally, is in your hands. So you put the phone chargers in the kitchen or the den or your bedroom, wherever you want them, not in the kids' rooms. Why? This benefits you in so many ways. Number one, the kids shouldn't have the phones in their rooms at night while they're sleeping. They will not get sound sleep. Every time it buzzes or makes a noise, it will disturb them. It's also a way for them to be distracted easily. So even though the bedtime is 9, if the device is right there, they're not going to go to bed at 9. They're going to be on the device. And so you don't want that. You want them to get a good 8, 10, 12 hours of sleep depending on their age. Another benefit is now you have their device at night and you've got some time to look at it and go through it. Go to their social media apps. See what's being posted by their friends. See what they're posting. It gives you a chance to really um, dig a little deeper. Know what's going on with their messages. Now, I am sure you trust your kids like I trust my kids. And I am sure 
You don't want to feel like you have to constantly be policing them. Not saying that. I'm suggesting that you occasionally just check in and see what's going on. You might be perfectly pleased by what you find. You might realize that there needs to be some discussion of the contract again, reevaluating some of the rules of conduct that were set up because they're not being followed. It's a learning tool. How many times have you had to tell them to do their chores or pick up their shoes or take out the trash or say yes ma'am and no ma'am? Same applies here. We don't just assume that because we've told our kids once how they should properly use their device that they're going to magically do it that way forever. A little reinforcement is necessary. That's how we really make a habit. So you just want to be able to remind them. If you do see something that concerns you, grab a screenshot of it. It will enable you to have a conversation later that doesn't accidentally magically get deleted and it might be something you need to send to another parent if their child is also involved. I feel confident that you would not take your middle school or preteen child and drop them off at a playground in the middle of a big city and tell them you'll pick them up in six hours. And yet, we hand them these devices, which are playgrounds to the world, and that's it. There's very little instruction or rules or guidance or updates on behavior. We wouldn't let our kids move into an apartment in New York by themselves at 12. So why are we letting them have this computer without any rules and regulations? And we've all done it because this is work and we have a lot of work already in our lives. But you have to remember, you are a digital immigrant and they are a digital native. So you have to teach them how to be a good citizen in this native land. The last thing you want is for them to cause a problem for themselves because they just didn't realize or they forgot or they weren't thinking or they were in a situation that they weren't old enough to know how to handle. One of the biggest things you're going to have to press upon them is that user privacy does not exist. Everything they're posting can be seen by someone at some point. So they need to be wise in their choices of what they do in real life and how they share it. And because you can't ban the technology and the school is busy teaching from eight to three, and most of these things are happening after three o'clock at home, you need to work together, parent, teacher, student, school, all working together to make sure your kids have the best information on how to properly behave online. Thanks so much for listening. I know this was a long one, but I think it's important and a lot of people have asked questions about it, so I thought it was a good time to share it. I travel all around the country giving these presentations and workshops to parents and to students, and so this was a great way to kind of consolidate and condense all of that for you today. I promise next week we'll get back to business and under 10 minutes. Thanks for listening to Razor Branding Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and uh, it was time well spent. Please join us again next week. New episodes come out every Monday. You can subscribe on iTunes or you can find us at razorbranding.org and subscribe through an RSS feed there or just listen to the episodes directly. Each episode has show notes and you can find out the links. Like you can find me on Twitter at Jackie Russo, J-A-C-I-R-U-S-S-O. If you have suggestions, questions, feedback, vehemently disagree, uh, feel free to go there and share your thoughts. I'd love to hear them. If you've got topics, man, please let me know. We would love to take some feedback from the audience and cover your topic accordingly.